Inside Supercars will return later this week with some great interviews. Greg Murphy, Romy Myers, who engineered the wild card for Craig Lowndes and Declan Fraser and a whole bunch more. But before then, we thought we'd give you the opportunity to have a listen to our great friends, Andrew Clark and Neville Wilkinson's Gates Rev Limiter podcast. It's on after every round of the supercars and it's a great opportunity to do a deep dive into the results of the weekend. Now, here's your sampler of the Gates Rev Limiter podcast from Bathurst. G'day race fans, welcome to the Gates Rev Limiter Supercars Review. There were some pretty ordinary conditions out there, very easy to crash today. You don't need jam throttles on wet tracks. Good job, I'm like, mate, you've won by 20 seconds, what's the problem? Well, and hello everybody. Welcome to the Gates Rev Limiter Supercars Review. And it's the big one, it's Bathurst. But before I get started, I'll uh, introduce my right-hand man, Clarky, the man on the ground. How you going, dude? Oh, great, Nev. I love coming up here every year. And as you can probably hear from a bit of the noise, we're still in the media center. There's still a bit of a buzz. Um, yeah, because we've just seen you know, a pretty good race. It was an unusual race, but it was a good race in many ways. Uh, and perhaps fitting way to end out this era with a bit of follow the leader at the end. Um, the rain didn't eventuate like we thought it might. No, no, we had a we had a sprinkle early on, and that was about it. But uh, so we started on a dampish track with a few other water issues. Uh, but you know that's about it. And uh, yeah, so it was dry for nearly the entire race. Well, we're going to get into a race recap. Uh, to do that, I'm going to hit this button. Race recap. We knew from the start that this Repco Bathurst 1000 was going to be one to remember. It had all the right ingredients. The last of this era meant it was the last time a Holden would ever race in the 1000 for a start, and grown men were crying over that one. But it was the weather that left us thinking something unusual was about to happen. And it did, but it didn't. Shane Van Gisbergen won, and in the process set a record for the number of race wins in a season. Garth Tander won with him, and that made it his fifth Bathurst. So, not unusual, huh? Then, the next three cars were the same cars that made the podium last year, so that wasn't unusual either. But from there, it was whack. Let's start from the start. The track was damp and treacherous in places, especially the exit to Turn 1. James Moffat got away a little slowly, just like he did last year, and Lee Holdsworth led the field. Then chaos ensued, but more of that later. Except to say, Zach Best was out and Thomas Randall didn't get to run a lap, and the other cars were in the pits for repairs, and the incident was triggered by Jamie Wincup. Safety car number one. Restart. St. Goddard went off in the chase and rejoined the track only to take out Dale Wood and Matt Campbell. Three more cars out and half the Tickford challenge was done and another one very, very bent. Then it rained. Nothing bad happened. Then it dried for the rest of the race. Plenty of things happened. Moffat fought his way back to second and trailed Holdsworth early. Then Jake Kostecki took his bent car off the track at the chase and got stuck. Safety car number three. And we're only 16 laps in and... Greg Murphy led the race, but only because his comms and his car were playing up and he missed the in call. But hey, sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? 
Next it was Alex Davison to explore the mud in the chase, safety car number four and lap 30. And he lost two laps, which he would get back by the lucky dog because there were more safety cars to come. Next was Tim Blanchard who found the wall after Nick Perkett passed him at the elbow, safety car number five on lap 42. Brody Kostecki pulled a desperate move on James Moffat and turned around the number six car in the cutting. He was running in sixth at the time, was James, but he was the leading car on that strategy as well and he dropped to 21st and the last car on the lead lap. There was no safety car for that one. Van Gisbergen and Tanda had the lead by this point and they controlled the race from there to record their second win in three years. But that's not to gloss over the next 100 laps because plenty still happened, but nothing as dramatic as what we'd already seen. Now, it was a motor race of sorts and not just a demolition derby. The sixth safety car was for Macaulay Jones and by the time we got to lap 100, Waters and Moffat had fought their way back into contention after that spin. The running order, with three stints to run and all the leaders in their cars, was Van Gisbergen from Brody Kostecki, Brock Feeney, Chaz Bossett and Cam Waters. Anton Di Pasquale had been in the running too, but he dropped out of it all with a long pit stop. Amazingly though, he'd been running as high as second after his first lap dramas. Mostert passed Feeney and then Todd Hazelwood hit the wall at Griffin's Bend, safety car number seven. On the restart, Waters knew he had to make a quick move on Feeney or lose touch. He tried and failed, but it was good to watch. No, it was great to watch. He did eventually get him and Waters bluffed him off the road in the chase and he dropped extra spots too. On the final stops, Tickford sharpened up Waters' car and after the safety car eight for Will Davison at Griffins, he cleared Kostecki. A truckload of laps after Kostecki had unloaded Moffat and was helped in no small part by a recovery vehicle that balked the Erebus driver as he exited the pits. Mostert was now second and that's how it finished. Stay tuned and we'll tell you the full results as we dig a little deeper. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Grove Racing. Every time we hit the track, we rely on Gates premium parts to help us perform under extreme conditions. Serpentine, cooling and timing systems are crucial to your engine's performance. Inspecting and replacing all system components at the same time will ensure your vehicle is ready to tackle any challenge. Protect your ride with Gates. Available from Repco, Napa Auto Parts, super cheap and reputable auto stores. Each week, find out what the men behind the V8 News know and what the drivers and teams are going to do next. It's interviews and opinions on Inside Supercars. My predecessor, Roland Dane, did a very, very good job. We're no longer shareholders of the build business. Personally, I think a 500 in the build up to the 1000 is, is a good thing. Tune in for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Okay, we're back. Gates Rev Limited Supercars Review, Bathurst Edition. Uh, before we get into the win, uh, can we just unpack some of these opening laps? Because that is when most of the action happened. I think there was like something like five or six safety cars before lap 57, something oh, like that. I know, it was crazy, wasn't it? The first couple of laps, what the hell happened? We didn't even get one lap in. No, we didn't. We didn't even get to the second corner, did we? <laughs> But uh, and, and it's not what you expect. Like you hear first corner dramas and you expect that there's people barreling into each other in the corner. This was on the exit of the corner. So what we had, and, and this is something that not many people know, so here's a bit of a secret I'm giving you all guys. Um, there was a faulty or a broken uh, water drain that was leaking water onto the track. Uh, and that's, there was this all this water on the exit to turn two. 
turn one, sorry. And as the cars came flying out of there, they were all twitching and twitching, twitching and jumping all over the place. Wind Cup twitched the most, hit uh, Jack Perkins, and bang, it was on for young and old, wasn't it? Was there any fault at all, this apart from the water? Like, I felt that Jamie stuck his nose in there where maybe he could have, oh, mate. And, but mind you, the cars beside him, there were a couple of other cars that were having their own little uh, carambolage, whatever you want to call it. So he kind of helped but wasn't totally to blame for this whole thing. No, it's as much as I'd like to say it was Jamie's fault. It was just one of those things like the, the standing water on the track, like where he actually twitched was a, was almost like a river across the track. And uh, and he just went and he wasn't the first one to do it and he wasn't the last one to do it. But uh, it was just unfortunate that uh, that it tagged the back of Perkins the way it did, pushed him into Tony Delberto, uh, the two uh, Perkins and um, Wincup spun in front of the coming pack and God knows how so few cars were actually damaged but um, we had one Tickford car going off one side with Jake Kostecki, we had another one going off the other side with Zach Best, they both got quite badly damaged and um, and then we had um, you know, Frosty driving into the back of someone who propped in front of him and Jackson Evans <laughs> front of him. so we had, we had cars littered, damaged and smashed everywhere and uh, it was crazy it was chaos and uh, it took a lot of time to actually understand what happened Oh, well, this is why we got you there, mate, so we can find out what happened. So, uh, yeah, surely there must be more to come out of this one. Too. I mean, well, I do want to say that uh, Jamie's slide or his spin was a long, lazy slide, and he's going, <laughs> oh, keep it off the, keep it off the concrete. And he did, luckily, and then no one, no one nerfed him as they were going past. I know it was very elegant, wasn't it? It was uh, yeah. <laughs> the most elegant I've seen all day. Yes, but uh, the interesting thing for me is that, like Zach Best's car or the Thomas Randall car, the Castrol car came back to the pits on the back of a tilt tray, so they weren't even allowed to try and fix it. Um, yeah, well, so what was the damage to that? Just steering bent. Uh, yeah, so a bit of damage to the front corner and things, but they could have got it fixed. They could have got it back out there, but they weren't allowed to. So uh, what is so the rule is is is, is is as soon as it hits the uh, the tilt tray, it's out. Is that what they're saying? Yep, correct. That's it. Done. Dusted. If you can't get it back to the pits under its own steam, yep. uh, you pack up for the days, yep. fellas. That's exactly uh, the way it works. So, yep. Surely that's not all that come out of this. Uh, it's all that come out of that particular one. But, uh, yeah, hang on. Just give me a couple of seconds. We'll come back to the next bit. But, look, there's a lot of bent steering, a lot of bent track arms or whatever they're bloody called. And they actually they actually um, replaced it real quick. Yeah, that's what I forgot. Tony Delberto came back in. Good on you. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, it's been a big day, Nev. But um, Tony yes. Delberto, they, he, he got himself back to the pits with the bent steering and they pulled it off and they put a new one back in. He didn't even lose a lap, which was quite impressive. Has that happened before? Uh, no, but talking to uh, Ben Croak from DJR afterwards, he said they practice it. It's one of those things they practice is replacing that particular part of the car because they know it can get bent. So, uh, you know, practice makes perfect. How long do you reckon it takes to replace it? Have they, did it tell you what, what that time they got it down to? Uh, no, I didn't even ask that. You, you're a smarter journalist than me. No, but uh, <laughs> it was a... And I'm not even a journalist. I know. It was about <laughs> it was about a two-minute fix. So, um, you know, it's a pretty... It's like That's pretty bloody quick. It is, yeah. Imagine if you went to your local workshop, they wouldn't even make money out of you if it was that quick. <laughs> So, then in the restart, another Tickford car was in the middle of the drum with Zane Goddard going off at the chase. Yeah, it was funny. Well, not funny if you're Tickford, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it was quite funny. Like, um, he, he went under Greg Murphy, so he um, dived under him, and he snatched a break, which the Tickford cars have been doing all weekend. Like, this was a, a problem that they knew they had, but they kept it because it made the cars faster anyway. Snatched the break, gone firing off at the shootout, at the chase, 
um, straight through. Um, looks like he kept his boot in it. Uh, he may not have kept his boot in it. Who knows? Because once you're off on that mud, you are completely a passenger in whatever happened. Uh, got back on the track and bang. You know, he's collected Dale Wood. So there's the Andre Heimgarten and Dale Wood car out of the race. And then nose to nose with the uh, Matt Campbell car. So Matt Campbell, Dave Reynolds out of the race. St. Goddard and James Courtney out of the race. Three cars down. He, you said he. What did you say? He got back on the track. Awkwardly, he speared back on the track, mate. I reckon he, he could have controlled that a little better. I know you're sliding through the mud, right? But he kept the momentum up because remember he was in the race going, oh, it's just wasn't practice or anything. So I just think he overdid it and speared off. I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, I think you'd it's... say you would say it was his fault, but I know what you're saying. There was mud yeah. and stuff, but oh, I reckon he could have done it better. Everybody else went off there and didn't do that. No, but everybody else went off and some people hit the wall, some people didn't hit the wall, some people, you know, I think it's just one of those things. I mean, I know just from Thursday night getting out of the car park, you know, I just put my car down, I pointed it towards where the road was and slid down the hill. You know, so, <laughs> so I, I, I kind of know what he's saying. And and, and I, I spoke to him afterwards and he was he was pretty down on himself. Like, he, you know, he knew he'd ruined three people's races and he, he wasn't happy. You know, and a you know, young kid, he's not too bad a you know, kid. He's an okay driver and he's growing in his craft. Um, just unfortunate, I think. You know, it's, that's my feel on it. Um, I know a lot of people have got other views, but uh, I just think once you go off the track in a situation like that, you, you've got no control. There was a couple of drivers who were really cut up about that. Yeah, they were. I mean, Dale Wood was pretty distraught. I mean, Mate. to see him in tears um, after the, you know, afterwards with his wife was pretty pretty um, sad. Uh, obviously, Matt Campbell, he's a professional racing car driver, so his view is just, oh, you know, that's just another one. Let's move on to the next one. Oh, well. Uh, so what happened? Did he get slapped with an unsafe entry or what's the deal? No, he didn't get anything because obviously the car was out, so nothing happened. But uh, the race control did come over and give people a warning, you know, please remember to enter the track safely, you know, as if they needed it. You know. <laughs> How do they do it? The winners. Was this just a master class from Triple Eight? It didn't seem like that, but they were there at the end and I, like we couldn't catch them. No, I'm putting it down as a Triple Eight master class. I mean, I remember talking to Dutto on uh, on Thursday and uh, he said that you know, they weren't worried about their speed at that point in time. They knew what they were practicing for, which was to be a quick car in the second half of the race when they expected the race to be on a drying track, which is exactly obviously as it panned out. Um, so this is what they planned. You know, they were ready for it and, you know, they didn't worry about qualifying speed or anything like that. Although that said, you know, um, Van Gisbergen and Quad could quite easily have been on pole if you hadn't shut it into, uh, into Macaulay Jones. But yeah, I think they planned it beautifully. Was it, was that a bit of a brain snap from the Giz going down? You, that's, you just don't pass in that. He, I reckon he was annoyed that he was on a flyer, come up behind Jones, felt that he was maybe balked or, or um, impeded in some way. And I reckon he's like a bit of a like, fuck, oh, I'm going to stick my nose down here. But like, it was never going to work. Oh, I think he's just used to people getting out of his way. <laughs> yeah, um, I love you it. You know, I think that's all it is there. It's just like, well, I'm Van Gisbergen and everybody else gets out of my way, so you do too. But uh, it's not like you've got a lot of, uh, lot of room for error in the S's, is it? <laughs> so anyway, but yes. Another key ingredient to the uh, SVG win is definitely those guys picking Tander. I mean, man, he was probably the best co-driver of Bathurst this year. It's interesting, isn't it? So for the last two years or three years, if you want to go back a little bit further, the car that's won the races had the best co-driver. You know, so Lee Holdsworth last year was brilliant. Garth Tander the year before was great. Uh, but this year, Garth Tander was also brilliant. And, uh, you know, it was his stint. It was his time in the car that set it up. And, 
He spoke afterwards and he said what he was doing was making sure that not only did he hand back the car in the lead, but they had enough of a gap to play around with what they needed to do. So, you know, very conscious of what needed to be done and, and he did it and he delivered beautifully. So, uh, yeah, co-drivers, critical. Okay. Could they have actually caught the gears if it went off? Did the gears have the number on them? It's like uh, Chaz Mostert. When the cars, when they did the restart, he was having goes towards gears. Once they all tyres warmed up, it kind of, it looked like it was harder for him to have a go at the gears, even though he was trying. Could they have caught him? Yeah, I think two things here. One is that track possession is the only thing that counts at Bathurst. You can't follow these cars, particularly the Commodores. You cannot follow them. They generate too much air, uh, aero and they uh, they send too much disturbed air off the back of them. So yeah, um, track position is everything. So uh, I reckon Ka- Chaz Mostert and Cam Waters, I think they had quicker cars than Shane Van Gisbergen, but there's nothing they could do about it. Um, so, yeah, it's just one of those things pretty much like the last couple of years. Actually, with Cam Waters, you know how when they did their last pit stop, was it? And they did a couple of the front end chains to lower the yep. front for a better turn in. Did, yep. How well did that work? Oh, brilliantly. I mean, yeah, brilliantly. You saw how quickly he could get past Brody Kostecki on the restart. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he had a good tra- good crack at Chaz. But, um, you know, one lap, two laps behind one of those cars and it's all over. And it was the same last year or the year before, actually, when Cam was chasing Van Gisbergen. You saw him like he was so able to attack him for one lap and then two laps and then it was all over. So if you don't make the move really quickly, it's all done. And, and that's the same thing this weekend. It was, you know, Chaz Mostert could not get past him so it was all over yep we saw that happen uh the podium the podium the guys on the top step were happy uh i would be happy if i was on the second and third step but that wasn't totally the case i would have thought that uh yeah mustard would have been oh so close yeah and so close is not good enough which is a great thing isn't it i mean imagine if you think that coming second is great um you're not really going to win too many times are you so yeah i think both of them and cam waters in particular because he hasn't stood on the top step yet um, so now he's got three podiums in a row. Like he looked mortified afterwards because you know I sat with him just before they went out onto the podium, uh, and you know he was he was shattered. He was tired obviously because it had been pretty tough to do three stints, and um, Chaz obviously did the quadruple stint, so he was totally rooted. Um, but you know it was just one of those things. They they were not at all happy. They put on the smiley face when they hit the podium, but uh, you know they were very very grumpy with that result. And. What the thing with Cam or the Cam and James Moffat was, what really stood out was Moffat was turned around fairly early in the race. Wasn't he? Yeah, and that changed the whole complexion of the race because I still think Cam Waters, I mean, he had pole obviously, but I think he was the fastest car on the track yes, uh, at Bathurst this year. Um, and because they lost their track position, I mean, it like, cost him 15 spots. You know, so he's gone from sixth and leading on that strategy. Um, so while he wasn't actually leading the race, he was the top guy at that particular point in time in the race, and he's dropped down to 21st. Catastrophic. Imagine what goes through your head when you're sitting there like that. The anger would just be rising, wouldn't it? Uh, got it going again, but to say 21st, lost their track position, and it took them 100 laps to get back past Brody Kostecki. Um, that's how damaging it was. Dick Johnson Racing. Uh, tough day? Uh, yeah, I think any time your car's in the pits on lap one having a bent steering arm, uh, yeah, that's a tough day to start with. Um, so the number 100, and remember number 100 was because it's Repco's 100th year of operation. Um, I, had, I wondered why it was 100. Yeah, well, one of the guys in pit lane in the media centre who was rabbiting on on the radio said it was because of 100 years of shell. Um, 
So, yeah, they didn't do a very good job telling us all about it, really, when you think about it, especially given Ripco's the sponsor of the race. But anyway, so 100 races, so number 100 for Anton instead of number whatever he is, um, 11, I think it is, or 12 or 13 or something, anyway. Um, but anyways, they, they did a good recovery, though. Like, they battled back and they were in podium contention when the, they had a problem with their pit stop changing a brake caliper, um, which you have to do. Like, you have to change brakes. Um, so, yeah, it just didn't go well for them and dropped them out of contention. Uh, the other car, though, um, you know, <laughs> Alex Davison went off in the S's, um, hit the wall. So uh, unlike um, Jake uh, Zane Goddard, didn't didn't get back on the track. Did did that look as bad as uh, what it looked like on the telly? Though the car, it just well, was it was it just extra dirty and it looked worse than what yeah, it really was? Yeah, all it was. did was pop a headlight out and um, make the car incredibly dirty. So. Uh, you know, they kind of needed a car wash Jeez. to get it through, I suppose, but uh, they didn't get that. Uh, so, yeah, it looked dirty. The car was fine, I think. Um, you know, it, it came back on. Uh, but, you know, they lost two laps. Um, and they uh, they ended up getting the two laps back through the lucky dog rule, got back onto the lead lap. They were running inside the top ten. Uh, they had a pit stop. Will was pretty keen to get back out there and get into it because, obviously, you, know, you want to get your car up to speed quickly. Uh, and he just mucked up going into Griffin's Bend and hit the wall. On the telecast, it sounded like he might have not missed a gear, but it maybe popped into neutral while he was going through, and that's what made him the back step out, and then he had to correct it, and, and, and it was too late. He was, in the, he was heading into the wall then. Well, I couldn't find Will to talk to him, but I spoke to a few other people, and no one was indicating any problem with the car. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I think the commentators sometimes come up with guesswork to try and justify a position. Uh, but in that case, I think it was just a bit of a driver error. And uh, that happens, you know. You're out there and you, you, you want to go 100%. Things are going to go wrong. And if they don't go wrong, you're not trying hard enough. Driving standards. Murphy questions it. Frosty questioned it. What the hell's going on yeah. here? Well, obviously, Frosty was a bit of a victim of a few of that first corner, first lap incident. And so he thought people were... <laughs> People were nuts. He couldn't believe what he was seeing. Um, Murphy obviously was uh, <laughs> watched what happened with St. Goddard and his thing was, you know, he just couldn't believe what he was seeing. So, you know, it's all this thing of, you know, do we get people who are good enough to do the job, I suppose. Uh, but they both thought people were insane. They couldn't believe what was going on early in the race. It's a 161-lap race and they were trying to win it on the first lap, which is Murphy's old thing. Matt Stone was talking about it's just people getting a wheel in the dirt. Yeah, Matt Stone said everybody's there all out there. They're professional racing car drivers, but, you know, people sometimes get it in the dirt and that's what happens. Um, so he was quite different. He was philosophical about it, whereas Murphy and Frosty were kind of whinging about it. But, you know, I mean, Frosty was a victim. I mean, that car looked pretty ordinary, didn't it, after he'd run up the back of whoever it was. Uh, and Murph always questions it. He, you know, but, um, yeah. It's just an interesting way to look at it, I think. So one one team owner says, well, you know, go hard. And the other drivers are saying, leave me alone, leave me alone. A lot of socials were going on saying maybe the top tier guys should start the race. But I'm thinking, look, Supercars has this V8 Supercar license system. If you're good enough to get your Supercar license, you should be able to start the race. Fella, wild cards. What happened to Lounsey and Murphy and there's a few others? Give me an update. Well... Lowndes and Fraser, Declan Fraser, the uh, the young kid. So uh, running a super cheap car in the Repco Bathurst 1000. So it's got everything in it, hasn't it? Uh, they finished eighth, which was pretty good. And uh, yeah, they led the race at one point uh, on a, on the oddities of pit stops and so forth. Uh, but, you know, a good steady race. Um, I thought we could have got a little bit more out of them. I thought, uh, you know, eighth, uh, you know, I 
Lowndes should have been in the top five, I think. But, uh, you know, maybe we're getting towards the end of Lowndes' career and uh, we need to just face and accept that and move on a bit. But uh, good day for them, I think. Um, the other one was the uh, the Murphy Stanaway car. And obviously, Richie Stanaway proved that he has the driving talent to do this job. Um, whether he's got the temperament to do the stuff off the track is always going to be the question. Uh, although Peter Adderton from Boost Mobile loves him. So uh, who knows what Peter Adderton is going to do with him next year. But uh, qualifying where he did. Uh, but then they ended up 11th in the race, which was a great outcome for two drivers who don't turn up to race every... Or in fact, this is Murph's first Bathurst in eight years and uh, Stanaway hasn't driven for two years. So uh, terrific outcome for those guys. And uh, yeah, Murph before the race was pretty funny because he was as nervous as all hell starting the race. He, he didn't want to do it at all, but uh, that's what they had to do. Um, so it was quite funny. Uh, and the other one, of course, the, 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 to me, the great story of the race is the, uh, the Matt Charter and uh, Jalen Rowbottom car, they finished 18th and on the lead lap. And, and this, as we know, this is the um, the only way of uh, having privateers on the grid. Uh, so they did it, and they gave us a good result, which was sensational. It was like a privateer team, and I haven't seen that for oh, many a year. Um, yeah, very different feeling to that team. And it was great to see them finish it. Absolutely. It was a great, great outcome. And uh, to see them there, so Van Gisbergen and after the race was asked a whole bunch of questions. And one of the answers he gave was that he wants more cars on the grid. And so Van Gisbergen in the press conference said that we should have more cars on the grid. So he doesn't like the fact there's only 28 cars. So I don't know how you do it, how you get more cars in there. Wasn't, um, it, wasn't it 27? That was 28 this weekend. Oh, I don't know where I got 27 from. 25 and three wild cars. I thought it was 24 and three. No, 25 this year, remember? One extra. Okay. Anyway, so we uh, so yeah, Van Gisbergen wants more cars out there, and I think Matt Charter and Jalen Robotham today proved that you can actually do it. So, uh, okay, I have a question. Yep. If a car costs seven hundred thousand dollars to build one, there won't be many too many of these teams um, racing next year at Bathurst like that because it's just. They're too expensive. Yeah, to start with, I think in a couple of years' time when they're starting to roll down. But why can't you go out there and run the, um, you know, like do a slight homologation thing on them to slow them down a little bit? But why can't we put the Super 2 and Super 3s on the same grid? Jeez, that's very old school. You mm. could. You absolutely could. But yeah. would you say they're the same level and standard of quality of driving? Weren't we just control, whinging about driving standards? And that's one of the things that happens when you get a whole heap on the grid, you know? Yeah. Yeah, oh well, so what? The only problem is, and because uh, I spoke to somebody about this a couple of years ago, and they said, a lot more yellows on yeah. there. <laughs> but what they said a couple of years ago was that, um, well, where would we get our co-drivers from? So uh, that was the issue why they didn't do it. But, you know, I think they need to have a look at how they can do it because it would be good to have more cars out there. Uh, and as you say, like the new cars are going to be expensive to build. There is no doubt at all that they are going to be expensive to build. Uh, they'll be cheaper to run, by the way, but they're expensive to build. So two, three years' time when, they, when they're ready to start farming off and getting new cars, maybe we can look at expanding it then. Finally, Clarky. Uh, hearing you get a couple of complaints. <laughs> Don't start me. I actually have started. Yeah, well, I just did. <laughs> I just cannot believe that you can come firing out of the pits in a supercar and find a bloody Ford Ranger waddling up the road with its flashing lights on to get in your way. It's not the 1970s anymore. This was a joke and a very dangerous joke. 
And even Mostert used the recovery vehicle as a way to get in front. Yeah, I don't think Mostert was actually using it. I think he was staying off the water that was um, pouring out onto the pit straight, onto the straight. But yeah, but it, it is a big question. Like, you know, you know, you're talking about where the white line is. So they're racing to the white line because whoever gets that white line first with, with um, Brody Kostecki coming out of the pits, that's the car that's in front behind the safety car. I reckon the white line's in the wrong spot. I reckon it should be... Um, right at that end of pit lane. Because you, you, as soon as you get out of pit lane, you can gas it up. And, you know, as long as you don't spear it off of the track, um, you can go as fast as you want. So I reckon that's where the white line should be, where you, when you can go. And Brody would have been in front. Yeah, but, you know, it's just, it should never have happened. There shouldn't have been a recovery car on the track before they were slowed down to the 60 or 80 k's behind the safety car. It's just a ridiculously dangerous situation. Okay, well, I'm not too sure whether we're going to hear more about this or not. We'll uh, read the dailies. I guarantee we will hear more about it. Okay, uh, the round summary. Pole position, Cam Waters. Now, this is the second time the pole position has been decided not by the top 10 shootout. Since the top 10 shootout uh, came into being, it was Hardy's Heroes originally. Um, And that was 1988. They had it. But it didn't. It, it wasn't for pole position. Yeah, absolutely. They ran the shootout that year for prize money only. It was called the the Tui's Dozen, and it was the top ten qualifiers plus Ella Grice and Peter Brock because uh, they gave a couple of concessions in there. Uh, but this was the first round of the Asia Pacific Touring Car Championship, and the FISA wouldn't let them use this to decide the grid. So it was run, but it didn't count. So since we started the shootout. Um, yeah, that's the that was the only time it had worked until this time, and this is the only time that the shootout has been cancelled. I'm miffed that they didn't run the sh- uh, the shootout earlier in the day when it was dry. Um, they used to run the shootout in the mornings, and then you'd had all your practice sessions later on in the day. But through some hokery pokery and gibbery through media commitments, they said let's have it on at the end of the day, and they all knew you guys knew it was going to rain. I mean, I think the, the people who got dudded here were the fans, especially the ones on top of the mountain waiting for this to happen. They just got rained out and then told to go back to their tent. Yeah, and I got dudded too because I allocate a whole chapter in the book to the shootout. So now I've got to find a way to fill it, don't I? So no shootout. Yeah. The win, Shane Van Gisberg and Garth Tanner. That, that was pretty pretty easy. Uh, fastest lap, no points. So this means that Bathurst, you can make more points at other rounds than Bathurst, which is crazy. Um, but, hey, fastest lap went to? Shane Van Gisbergen, just in case we didn't miss it. So the podium, round result, Shane Van Gisbergen and Garth Tanner. Uh, second was Chaz Mossett and Fabian Coulthard. And taking out the third step on the podium was Cam Waters and James Moffat. Championship points. Shane Van Gisbergen, he hasn't quite won it yet. He's on 3,082. He's uh, 567 points ahead of everybody else. Cam Waters is in second, 2,515. As I said, 567 points behind. Anton Di Pasquale is third, 2,305. Chaz Mostert, 2,280. Uh, in fifth, Will Davison, he dropped three spots, 2,180 uh, points. He's 902 points off the Giz. Bok Feeney is in sixth, which is amazing for a rookie year. This is awesome. This is one of the best rookie years oh, I think I've known. May, maybe Craig Lowndes, I'm not too sure. But Brock Feeney, 2,074 points. David Reynolds, 1,742 points. Brody Kostecki, 1,725. Andre Heimgarder, 1,592. Rounding out the top 10, 
Mark Winterbottom, who got into the top 10, 1,549 points. He is 1,533 points behind the gears. God, blimey, I thought you'd cut that in half. I had to give that a second look. I know, so. it's amazing, isn't it? Half the points. Okay, the teams. Uh, shock horror, Red Bull Ampole Racing Team. 5,156 points. Shell V Power Racing Team, 4,485. They're 671 points behind Red Bull Racing. I probably didn't help them that uh, one of their cars went in the wall. Uh, Tickford Racing, five and six, which is uh, Cam and Courtney, and we all know what happened to Courtney's car early in the race, so it didn't help that little uh, little party as well. 3,936 points. They're 1,220 points behind Red Bull Racing. WAU Racing, which is uh, Chaz Mostert and Nick Perkett, they are 3,608 points. And then rounding out the top five, Penrite Racing, 3,254 points, 1,902 points behind Red Bull Racing. Holy mackerel. Clarky, and we come to the end. Uh, what's coming up for us? Well, I got the Gold Coast in uh, three weeks, I think. So, uh, yeah, that's the next one for us. And then uh, uh, one month until we get to Adelaide. So, uh, we've only got two rounds left, 600 points up for grabs. So, uh, you know, it's better now of when Van Gisberg is going to seal it. Uh, wrap, wrap this up for me. Well, I'd love everybody to go and buy a copy of the Bathurst book. So, uh, obviously, a lot more detail on what went on in the uh, the few days up there that we can give you here in our 30-odd minutes. So, uh, Bathurst book, look for it at uh, the supercarextra.com.au website. Uh, and then the other one is auto action. So go and flick in there. There's going to be a lot of follow-up on a couple of things. So expect to see me writing about that bloody recovery vehicle in auto action. So uh, website's there so you can get it all week. And get us a bit of a heads up. What, so what, what, what stories do you reckon are going to go in auto action? Well, I'm going to give you the one about the recovery car. I can guarantee you on that. Uh, we've been sniffing around about the calendar. So uh, we, we've got some, some news there that's going to come out about the calendar. Uh, and there's a couple of other things floating around as well. But uh, big one for me, I'm really onto it, is the saving of Sandown Racecourse. So uh, uh, it looks like Sandown's being thrown a lifeline. So it might not close in a few years. It might be open till I'm, um, till I'm 100. Okay, I uh, can't wait till Thursday to read it, or if it's Wednesday, I'll click on my digital copy. All right. It's the week after, Nev. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy the website for the next few days. Okay, fans, thanks for tuning in. Um, We've had some technical difficulties, but I think we got to the end of this one. Clarky, thanks for joining me, and um, I'll catch you later. And see you later. I'm out of here. Me too. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth from Grove Racing. Every time we hit the track, we rely on Gates premium parts to help us perform under extreme conditions. Serpentine, cooling and timing systems are critical for your engine's performance. Inspecting and replacing all system components at the same time will ensure your vehicle is ready to tackle any challenge. Protect your ride with Gates. Available from Repco, Napa Auto Parts, super cheap and reputable auto stores. Each week, find out what the men behind the V8 news know and what the drivers and teams are going to do next. It's interviews and opinions on Inside Supercars. My predecessor, Roland Dane, did a very, very good job. We're no longer shareholders of the build business. Personally, I think a 500 and the build up to the 1000 is, is a good thing. Tune in for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. I hope you enjoyed the Gates Rev Limiter podcast. 
that is available on all good podcasting apps and even some of the bad ones. The Gates Rev Limited Podcast, great partners of Inside Supercars. So we hope you enjoyed the show. And we'll be back later this week with more Inside Supercars. Until then, keep smiling and bye for now.